What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Week 5 DFS MVP. I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444, with my co-host, Matt Savoca. Welcome to episode 167. If you are new to the DFS MVP podcast, we are a strategy-based DFS podcast. Every week, we give you our favorite value plays on FanDuel and DraftKings, but we also focus on how to make you a better player, not just who to play, focusing on a new theory topic each week ranging from the macro to the micro. This week, we're going to be discussing assessing your personal strength and weaknesses. Before we get into it today, we have some other DFS shows that we would love for you guys to check out. Every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time, Matt and I are on YouTube doing a cash game review. Every Saturday, Matt Harmon and I from Yahoo do our Yahoo DFS values. That is a Saturday podcast that is on the DFS MVP and the Yahoo podcast feeds. DFS Last Look with Jordan Vanek is every Sunday morning, 8 a.m. Pacific time, 11 a.m. Eastern time on the subscriber only 444 Discord. So make sure you get signed up for 444 so you can access that. If you haven't signed up for 444 already, head over to 444.com and use a promo code DFSMVP for 10% off. This week, the price dropped to $74, so you're getting 25% off the original price. With the code, you get an additional 10% off. If you're listening here, if you've already got your 4 for 4 subscription, you've already done your homework for fantasy football, so take all that hard work and turn it into real cash with prize picks. Simply pick two or more players and decide if they will go over or under their stat projection. This week, we're loving the Matt Ryan under, the Zach Wilson over, a little correlation in that London game. Download the Prize Picks app today or visit prizepicks.com. If you deposit this week with promo code 444, that's the number four, F-O-R, the number four, you'll get a $100 instant deposit bonus match dollar for dollar. Prize Picks is hands down the most fun, fast, easy way to play daily fantasy sports. Prizepicks.com, play today. Matt. Welcome to week five. Hey, TJ, so happy to be here. I kind of feel like this week was the first week that didn't run me, and now we, we got our feet <laughs> under us. You said yeah. it before the show. You're finally yeah. back at home, back under yeah. your regular yeah. schedule. I'm really excited to get into this week, especially from a game theory perspective. No Mahomes, no Allen, yeah. no Lamar Jackson, Now and, and no bye weeks. Just the way the schedule is working out, there's some really exciting plays here this week. Yeah. I actually like these weeks a lot where we don't have like four games with 55 point over-unders where we don't have uh, Chiefs, Bills, uh, sometimes Ravens, Seahawks, all with like 30 point um, implied point totals where you feel like you have to have those games in your um, in your game mix somehow, in your lineups. Like these weeks are really fun to me because I feel like you can go off the board. You can really like plant some flags and stick to them and you're not going to lose a lot of equity by um, missing out on some games. So let's get into it. Let's get into some of these games. Some of our favorite players, like we always do, start with quarterback. Who are you looking at this week at quarterback? Okay, I know this show is about value plays and saying the highest price quarterback is a value play is a little bit difficult sometimes, but especially on a week where we're about to go into one of the best value plays, best salary saving plays that I can remember in a while. I think it could be advantageous to go up in salary for the quarterback position. And this is actually something I hit on a little bit in the running back section of my cash game article. You can find that on four for four where we're actually seeing a little bit in a shift of the way that playing optimally in DFS has worked 
four players this year in that the running back position, which has traditionally been the space where we want to spend up at those premium players, premium salary players, hasn't been as advantageous as having a premium quarterback. Now, this has to do with a lot of things. First, the, there's a difference in how the rest of the field is playing things. The pricing algorithms are getting nothing but smarter. But ultimately, I think paying up for quarterback is becoming a better move than it used to be, certainly better than it was a few years ago. So I'm going for with Kyler Murray. And though he is correlated positively with Trey Lance, in my opinion, the best uh, spoiler, the best value play on the slate. I think this game environment is really, really good for Murray. And no one has to tell anyone who's listening to this stream just how good of a season Murray is having. Number one in true completion rate, number one in deep ball completion rate, number two in clean pocket completion rate, number two in yards per attempt, and in expected points added per play. That's comparing him to the league average, just replacement level. And number three in QBR. You just don't need any more three-letter metrics to tell you just how good Kyler Murray has been this season. And especially, as I said, with no Josh Allen, with no Lamar Jackson, and with no Patrick Mahomes, and so much of the field moving towards the rushing quarterbacks lower in salary, I absolutely love just going back to the well with Kyler Murray. On FanDuel, it's definitely tough. At 8,500, you're going to have to make him some salary-based concessions. But I think he has an unparalleled ceiling this week. Yeah, we. I mean, we we talked about this a little bit going, actually, a lot going into the season. That there's this group of quarterbacks that um, just aren't matched. And from a redraft perspective, a lot of us, myself included, especially myself, uh, were saying that it's really important to to target these guys. So then, when you take a lot of them off the slate, you would think like, okay, well, there's only one quarterback like in this high price range I, I, he, if he busts then i'm fine i don't need to worry about all these other guys busting but it's kind of like a, a, a opposite effect right when he's the only one that can lap the field basically it, it makes him even more valuable whereas when you have josh allen um mahomes russ um lamar on the slate you can just take the cheapest one right and you're not losing much value here he's giving you so much value um over the field i mean in, in DraftKings points he's the qb1 when we factor in those passing bonuses so uh I mean, I'm I'm all over Kyler this week, and from a tournament perspective, especially on DraftKings, where people are super price sensitive, and, and you can't just jam in whoever you want. I actually think he's a, a fantastic tournament play, especially if um, Chase Edmonds is out and we see James Conner become kind of chalky. But that's a completely different discussion. Let's stay in that game for now, because my quarterback is the guy you mentioned, Trey Lance, sixty nine hundred on Fanduel, fifty seven hundred dollars on DraftKings. You mentioned the game environment. San Francisco is a four point underdog with an over under of forty nine. Surprisingly, that game opened like at fifty two and a half and got bet down a little bit. We still have two days until we get to Sunday. I wouldn't be surprised to see it get um, nudged up a little bit as um, you know people get closer to the week and as more bets start rolling in. Um, but either way, I think it's just a, a really good game to attack uh, in, in lots of spots. But Trey Lance specifically is a top three value on both sides at the quarterback position. He's the top value on uh, DraftKings at quarterback. We saw him play, what, what was it, basically just one half of football. I don't know if he went in right at halftime, but it was one half. He had 18 um, pass attempts, 19 pass attempts, and still posted 20.4 uh, fantasy points in that half. 41 rush yards is really what, what buoyed his total. I mean, a 76-yard bomb to, to Debo doesn't hurt, obviously, but, yeah. but uh, our, a lot of our expectation is going going to come from the fact that uh, he's going to run a ton and people are going to see the George Kittle injury news and, and it might scare them off a little bit, but um, so much of Trey Lance's value is going to come on the ground uh, playing
playing against the Cardinals. Cardinals already um, kind of near the bottom uh, against um, uh, in rush defense, giving up 5.4 yards per attempt on the ground. Now uh, the difference between quarterbacks and running backs is, is very different, but Cardinals are one of seven teams that have allowed 100 total quarterback rushing yards on the season. And it's not like they're facing world beaters. They faced Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, Trevor Lawrence, Matthew Stafford. Now Tannehill, Trevor Lawrence, they're okay. They're, they're mobile, but Kirk Cousins was near 30 yards, Stafford near 30 yards against them. So they just run a defense where quarterbacks can pull it down and, and get a couple of yards. And if that's the game plan, I mean, Trey Lance, is he like, 100 yard bonus on DK capable. I think so. Um, There was a 49ers beat reporter from the athletic this week where they asked if he starts, what is Shanahan going to roll out? And the quote was uh, his back to the future offense. And they were referencing um, Robert Griffin's rookie year in Washington. um, When Robert Griffin and Alfred Morris, all they did was run the ball. Robert Griffin rushed for like 900 yards or 850 yards or something like that. So that 41 yards, that might've been Trey Lance's rushing floor. Um, We might see Shani completely flip the script on us with Trey Lance in there. And and, um, for for the pass catchers, for for, uh, receivers not named Debo or or for for running backs or trying to figure out might be a mess but you can just uh throw trey lance in there and not really think about it right now if i remember correctly with that back to the future washington offense didn't pierre garçon their number one wide receiver lead the league in yards either that, that year the, or the year the after they they my point is this offense this rush heavy offense was able to prop up one of the league leaders in rushing at the running back position and one of the yardage leaders in passing at yep. the same time that Robert Griffin was just tearing up fantasy football for that ever so short period of time. I I love Trey Lance more than any play so far this season. Yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about um Debo at all. I think uh, people that are trying to get cute with like Ayuk or something or um Lord save us, Ross Dwelly, if if um <laughs> if Kittle's out. But we did see Trey Lance target uh Debo on on 39%. Seven of his 19 throws went to Debo. So that's encouraging for people that are following that um that Debo volume. Let's let's jump into running back. And I, I really like uh what your thought process is here on this one because I think it doubles as a really nice leverage playoff of his chalky teammate, but he's a good value as well. Yeah, of course. When everyone thinks of the Green Bay Packers, they go, okay, what skinny? how are we fitting in the skinny stack of Aaron Rodgers and Devontae yeah. Adams? And then go from there in terms of large field tournaments. But Aaron Jones, the starting running back from this team, is really popping in both the DraftKings and FanDuel value metrics. He's top five at his position. So that's a really good sign for him just being in a really strong spot. And his projection compared to salary-based expectations is also really, really good for the compared to the rest of his position. Now, one of the things I wrote almost as a joke is that, is Aaron Jones the new Alvin Kamara? And by that, I mean, is he a player who's getting a 60 to 70% snap share, plenty of receptions on a really strong offense with a quarterback who, when under duress, needs to dump it down. Even though there's a number one wide receiver, we rely on Jones as almost a secondary pass catcher, the second option in the passing game. I do kind of think there's some parallels there. And while we haven't seen... Kamara level receiving volume we have seen four plus targets in two of the last three games for him and in terms of advanced metrics he looks really strong Jones does top 10 in expected points added per play and they're utilizing him in a really unique way he's third among all running backs in slot snaps and then you start to look at the matchup this week where the Bengals defense is yeah they're somewhat strong in yards per carry and points per play I think they're actually top 12 in the league in both 
but they're largely untested, especially compared to an offense that's run by Aaron Rodgers. Just the level of efficiency is totally different compared to, say, a Jacksonville team from week four. And one of the things we find in our adjusted fantasy points allowed app is that Cincinnati is slightly above average or worse, excuse me, better for uh, opposing offenses, but they are a run funnel, meaning that it's Mm -hmm. slightly easier to run on them than it is to pass on them. So in terms of a a pay down option compared to the absolute elite tier of running backs, I think you can do a lot worse than Aaron Jones. Yeah. And, and especially um, if it, well, CMC is doubtful now, but I I think if people are paying up, they're going to be trying to get to Henry. Um, And I think Jones, when we compare him to uh, some of the most popular players on the slate, he kind of is like in his uh, his own salary tier. Like I don't know what people are really going to do with with Kamara this week, um, but he could be one of those running backs that just gives you a, a unique salary tier that lets you kind of flip your um, build compared to people that are either jamming Derrick Henry, going all the way down to some cheaper running backs, or both. But I, I do like this game environment. However, you want to go with it, and obviously, if if the Packers are, are can put up thirty five points, Aaron Jones always has um, that. We've seen him put up the majority of those touchdowns, four touchdowns, very much in his range of outcomes. One problem with both of these teams, Packers over the last couple of years have traditionally paced down a little bit. Um, Cincinnati, they've been way more run heavy this year than we'd expect. Um, with Joe Mixon out, I think that they, they've they kind of already talked about a committee. Um, they might lean towards pass catching backs more, and I just think they're going to be more pass heavy in general. So I think this game could pace up a little bit more than expected just because I think Packers are in a really good spot. Cincinnati could be forced to throw, even if they don't get behind, just forced to throw more without mixing back there. So um, I, I'm actually not too worried about the pace of this game. I think it could go against what we've seen from these two teams early in the season. Um, speaking of some of those running backs that people might be paying down for, this isn't the most popular one of the week, but I, I'm, I think if in a, in a different week where we didn't have Leonard Fournette coming off 23 touches or whatever it was, um, Damian Williams might be like the Uber chalk, like projecting for like 35 or 40%. He's barely I projecting. thought he was going to be. Yeah. And, and I mean, it still could move a little bit, but I, it's just one of those things where when you have two players that pretty much exactly the same salary. Um, they're just going to eat into each other a little bit, especially when they're in like that unique salary tier. Like they are Damien's at 5,800 on FanDuel 5,600 on DraftKings, And, uh, I think people are going to look at, at Fournette as a huge favorite and just, um, go to him a little bit more. So it's going to keep Damien sub 20%, but I, he's viable in cash for me. Um, he's viable. Um, and obviously in tournaments, if he's not going to be like over 20%, He's taken over a role that gave uh, David Montgomery 43% of the team touches. And I, I think one concern people might have is like, what does the offense look like uh, with Justin Fields in there? Like, is that same role there? If we look at the two games with Justin Fields, 22 running back rushes per game in those two games with Fields. But two weeks ago, they had that horrendous game script where they just their offense was not functional. If we go to last week where they were looked like an NFL team, 36 touch, 36 touches to their running backs um, without awful game script. So even if Damian Williams doesn't get the 90% touch share that, that um, 
David Montgomery has seen, even if it's like 70%, I think he could still easily eclipse 20 touches as long as Chicago can keep this close against Las Vegas. All of a sudden, Las Vegas in a little bit of turmoil with their head coach controversy. Um, sometimes stuff like that's sometimes that stuff. I mean, there's no data for it, but it just feels like those things tend to bleed onto the field, right? And just get kind of a lot of times we see those teams just kind of play ugly. Um, and we've seen Damian be like a 20 plus touch guy for the Chiefs before, and I think he can here. The Raiders are 29th when we adjust for schedule adjusted uh, points against running backs. Three running backs have scored at least. 16.6 half PPR points against them. If we um, combine it, it's obviously even worse. So Raiders not great against the rush. Their pass rush is good. Their secondary is better than it has been, but um, they're still struggling against the run. And and um, I, I think this game could go off the rails um, just because of this, this new controversy that Gruen's dealing with. And I think the game just kind of might naturally pace up. It's a game that I'm like surprisingly liking a lot of players in the game and might accidentally fall into some mini stacks with. Yeah, I dig it. This is uh, Super Bowl MVP Damian Williams we're talking about in my <laughs> yeah, book. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. really should have won it. I know you got to give it yeah. to Mahomes yeah. for the PR, yeah. but come on. Yeah. He was the yeah. best player in that Super Bowl. Uh, I really like that call. And personally, I like him better than Fournette. I totally understand I, yeah. why people are going to Fournette, but... Yeah, I, 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 I'm actually, I'm, I'm a little trepidatious about Fournette. I mean, I, I think you probably, especially like on DraftKings, where the difference of 400 bucks can make or break you. Um, like if you're trying to get up to Henry or trying to get up to Devonte, like that 400 bucks isn't uh, uh small. But um, I, I like Williams a lot, and I, I like this game environment for them. Um, speaking of game environments, one game we really like. Uh, who, who, who are you looking at for receivers? Yeah, I mean, this Dallas-New York Giants game, this better not disappoint. This better not be an old-school Eli Manning-style Dallas-New York Giants game where they just both run the ball all the time. I guess it's possible with both Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard playing very well over the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. But I'm all over Amari Cooper. I don't think... Dalton Schultz is going to keep this level of opportunity and efficiency going forward. Is he going to be a part of the offense? Absolutely. But eventually, this opportunity is going to head back towards CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. And honestly, both players are really popping in the value metrics on both sites for us. I just went with Amari Cooper here because he's a little bit more expensive, and I think the ownership might be a little bit worse. So it's just a slightly more contrarian value play. I thought it was more interesting here. And, you know, I think the field will see last week, especially for Cooper, as a player who was bailed out by a touchdown, which, as I said, might actually lower his perception of by the field more so than his value overall. The Giants' defense is just one that we definitely want to pick on. In terms of schedule-adjusted fantasy points, they're 30th in the NFL. That's third worst, easiest for offenses. Yeah. Uh, against wide receivers and 27th overall against opposing offenses. And what we've seen is they're one of the biggest pass funnels in the NFL, meaning it's more advantageous to pass against them than to rush against them. And one thing I noticed when writing the breakout receiver model picks for this week is that CeeDee Lamb, his expected fantasy points, remember this is our model here at 4 for 4, his expected fantasy points in half PPR, so FanDuel, it's only 8.9 points. Mm-hmm. Now, his projection, which we're going to lean on a little bit heavier, is up over 13. But still, that discrepancy, that disparity, that's what's really concerning for yeah. me. So I really think that Amari Cooper, a player who's top 10 in red zone targets, who's going to be seeing James Bradbury, the top corner for the New York Giants, 
who hasn't been ranked very well by PFF this season outside the top 40. I'm going with the player that leads Dallas in receptions and fantasy points in Amari Cooper, 7,100 on FanDuel. I love that value. Yeah, that that wide receiver breakout model. We actually talked about it last week um, in depth as as our our theory segment. And you write the article. Um, Kevin's at local and, and John Paulson build out the model. And and I actually tweeted about it today. And and I mean this, um, not even being um, affiliated with four for four. It just really is one of the most valuable articles and tools because it it um, gives us a, a snapshot of usage and and how that usage should really. Uh, uh, translate into fantasy points. So using that model, I think, is probably one of the most important things that we can be doing right now, especially for our pass catchers. And I mean, th- I, I think this game does have a wider range of outcomes than, than some people um, might think at first glance. The, um, I do too. The, yeah, I mean, the Cowboys have a, a, a point a point total of 29 and a half. And it's like we talked about up top, right? Like we don't have these offenses that we know are going to, to light it up, even though um, Dak does have three touchdowns in, in three games this year. Uh, he's not throwing it 50 times a game like we like we thought. But the good thing about this game for us, whether you're playing cash or GPP, is it is the late game. So no matter however you use these players in your lineup, you're gonna have a lot of information. One in what the field has already done with your players, and two in how your team is doing. So you can use that information to decide if you want to stay. If you have Amari in cash or in a GBP, do I want to stay on him if I think he's going to be chalky, or do I need to pivot from from him? So we do get some information before the game starts, and um, it is really nice if you are using late swap, which you should be every single week, no matter what. And we've talked about it on this podcast before. Why um, you get a lot of information um, before this game starts. So make sure you're using that. And I think because it's America's game of the week, I think it starts at, at 425, not 405. So most of the games are like completely done by the time it starts. So that's even like a couple more minutes for you to, um, for you to leverage that info. So hopefully you guys are doing that. Um, probably the most important thing you could do in DFS um, besides watch this uh, podcast. Uh, moving on to uh, my receiver, and um, I mean, I, I usually don't. This we usually play it pretty close to the vest here, like just with our values. Um, but as I already mentioned, like in these weeks where I, I don't think there are knock it out of the park of values, I'm down to go a little bit off the rails, and I, I think this play is going to be a little bit off the rails. But um, it's probably my favorite play of the week. Henry Ruggs, 5900 Fandle, 5600 on DraftKings. He's a player that just kind of pop for me a lot of times i I know which players are going to pop for me just intuitively because we do this so much um it's really rare that a player just surprises me when i'm going through my research and and rugs really surprised me um for for one just from a um public perception standpoint the raiders are coming off that bad nationally televised game against the chargers so i think that's going to factor into how people um view this pass offense Damian Williams is going to be chalk on the other side. I think Darnell Mooney could get some uh, get some buzz going into Sunday. He might become a semi popular um, receiver, especially on DraftKings. And then on on the other side, especially on FanDuel, I think Darren Waller can be super chalky. So if you're looking at it from a tournament perspective, I think Henry Ruggs is going to offer a lot of leverage. If you're just looking at it from a, a uh, volume and usage perspective and, and value perspective. Rugs kind of checks a lot of the boxes for us. Derek Carr's top three in intended air yards. That matches up really well with what Henry Ruggs does. His 112 air yards per game ranks eighth among players that have played all four games this year. He saw a season high 81% snap share last week. Um, you talked about the expected points model um, with uh, with Amari Cooper. 
Henry Ruggs, 17th in expected points among all pass catchers over the last three weeks. So that's nothing to sneeze at. Like like mid-tier wide receiver two fantasy point expectation. Chicago, 27th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. They're allowing the seventh most completions on deep balls, uh, air yards of 20 or more yards. That lines up with what Carr and Ruggs want to do. So um, Ruggs, I'm, I'm loving him a lot. Um, probably not a DraftKings cash play just because we love volume over there. You can make the argument where you need touchdowns and upside that you can save a couple bucks with him on FanDuel and cash. Um, I don't think I would hate that too much. Yeah, that's a really interesting play. And you talk about a team that surprisingly leads the league in total passing yards. I mean, from a fantasy perspective, Derek Carr has been kind of middling because the touchdowns haven't been there and he doesn't have any rushing upside. But for a receiver, especially a deep ball receiver, you got to love the, just the amount of production available last week, notwithstanding there against the Chargers. Uh, I'm going to go with another young receiver prospect. Actually, we got a lot of youth here in the second yeah. half of our receiver picks here. Uh, Jalen Waddle. Miami wide receiver. Now, I actually was vacillating between Waddle and Devontae Parker. Devontae Parker, surprise pop-up on the injury report. That is not a player I'm messing with when injured. I don't know if you know this, having played, if, if you all listening have played DFS in the last few years, Devontae Parker injured a bit of a narrative <laughs> over the last few years. But yeah. Waddle, I mean, last week was more of his back-to-earth game compared to week three, just four targets. But then he had 13 targets in week three. Yes, I know it was for 58 yards. 12 catches for 58 yards. I think I have a new name for him, which is Jalen Riddle, because that Ooh. is a riddle. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe really it should see? be maybe it should be Jalen Landry with that three point yard when that three yards per catch. Hey, if you were playing DFS or just fantasy football in general in yeah. 2014 when Jarvis Landry was catching everything, and actually that's that's in my notes here with a 4.1 yards average depth of target for Jalen Waddle, it really is a hybrid role for him. He's being used as an extension of the short, it's the short area game, not the running game. And so it kind of makes sense that we're seeing a downgrade in the production from all the running backs from Miles Gaskin on down. Um, but also one thing that we can note from players who have a low average depth of target is that in general, low ADOT throws are caught more often. That yeah. kind of intuitively makes sense. So on an expected fantasy points per opportunity basis, lower ADOT players can sometimes actually pop for us, especially when the volume is there, when 12, tar 12 receptions is in the range of outcomes for a player. And then you talk about the Tampa Bay defense that is among the league worst in adjusted fantasy points allowed. You cannot rush the ball on them. They are one of the best in adjusted line yards and yards per carry, and they have been for several years in a row. And they have an offense that tends to score a whole bunch of points, forcing their opponents to pass more than they would like to. I think that leads us to the Miami receiving core, strangely, and I want to go with the healthy ones here in Waddle. If you want to go with Mike Gusecki, his numbers have been great over the last two weeks, but I'm picking Waddle here, especially at 5,400 on FanDuel, 4,800 on DraftKings. He can help you get to a ton of premium players this week. Yeah, and I mean, players like Waddle, like we have a, we have a four-game sample on him, right? And when you have Parker maybe out and, and Fuller out, just because we've seen um, 
Waddle have a four-yard average target depth? That doesn't mean that they can't target him on some some splash plays, right? Like he he has the ability to do that, and they haven't used him that way. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have upside just because they haven't used him yet. They've had Parker, they've had Fuller, they haven't needed to. Maybe they do that, um, and and we see kind of a um, something similar that we saw with my value player last week, and that's Lavisca Chanel, uh, fifty-eight hundred on Fanduel, forty-eight hundred on DraftKings versus Tennessee. Um, very similarly priced to Jalen Waddle, and kind of in a, in a similar situation, we have Lavisca as a top two uh, value on DraftKings, but um, just like Waddle, he's one of uh, sorry, two, they're they're two of six players averaging at least six and a half targets per game priced below $5,000 on DraftKings. There's only four players with six and a half targets per game with a lower salary on FanDuel. But my point about that kind of shift in usage, Thursday night we saw DJ Shark get hurt. Chenault saw 32% of the Jaguars targets, 99 total air yards with average target depth of 13 and a half yards. If we look at his three-game average for the season before that, 18% target share, just 31 air yards per game, 4.6 average depth of target. So these dudes are the best athletes in the world, right? That doesn't, they're not going to, that we don't know if they're going to say, go run deep now. We've been using you this way, but they're still really good at football. Um, so I, I think we've seen it from Chenault already. And I, I think we'll continue to see that against the Titans who've allowed the most deep targets in the league. They've allowed the second most yards per attempt to players line up in the slot. Um, not just wide receivers, just to any player line up in the slot. And the Visca's 18, 18 of his targets have come while lined up in the slot. That's 64% of his targets. So um, Visca and Waddle both kind of um, similar for us, similarly valued, similar situations. Um, against similarly weak secondaries, uh, change in usage. Both of these guys, it's actually the way, I've, I don't know if you've built on FanDuel or DraftKings yet, but um, pairing these guys together actually works really nicely on a DraftKings. Glad you like, said it. Like getting yes. that getting that sub five, two sub 5K guys on DraftKings works really well. I haven't built on FanDuel yet, um, but it works really well on DraftKings. Yeah, especially with the whole PPR. So if they do see that lower ADOT, hybrid role and they just catch passes but aren't necessarily efficient on those passes especially in the full ppr setting that makes all the sense in the yeah. world yeah uh you know so we talked about it with the quarterbacks already tj but the same thing is really happening at the tight end position we don't have a lot of those premium players and in travis kelsey in mark andrews and now george kittle is listed mm -hmm. as doubtful so we probably won't get him on the slate and this player even is listed as questionable. And almost from a game theory perspective, if TJ Hawkinson misses, that just kind of makes this whole, I guess Darren Waller is still there, but just really makes the whole tight end position really, really tough. But still, my value play, assuming he is in and playing his normal snap share for the Lions, is TJ Hawkinson. 6,400 on FanDuel is much more appetizing. He's actually popping as the number one value on that platform, whereas his 5,500 DK salary, there's actually 11 tight ends that we currently have as a better value. So there is yeah. some discrepancy there. But I do expect Hawkinson to play. And you know, what, what can we say about the fast starts of the season? I mean, over the first two games, there was a no tight end more impressive than Hawkinson. 46 fantasy points to start his season off, but he's only had 11 since then. I think, especially in a week without all of these premium players, getting to a place, especially in cash games, where we just have guaranteed volume, where we have eight-plus targets from our tight end position, that is just so, so valuable, so safe compared to the rest of the position where we're really just banking on a touchdown 
or yeah. or some sort of crazy efficiency because most tight ends don't get a huge amount of downfield targets. So I want a player that's top three at his position in route rate, in slot snaps, in targets and receptions, playing a team that is bottom 10 in yards per pass attempt allowed over the last three weeks. And even with that dud of a game for the Cleveland offense against them last week, they're ranking just average and well below average over the last three weeks in points allowed per play. I think the Lions offense could keep things interesting here, and I think all the passes are going Hawkinson's way. Yeah, my my guy is not somebody that um, we can rely heavily on on targets or usage, but um, I, I like the way he's trending. And I mean, like you said, I'm I'm kind of I agree with you that the, a lot of the premium guys are off the slate, but um, I think if you aren't going like on Fanduel where it's not crazy expensive to to um, get to Hawkinson in a week where we the reliable guys aren't going to be there at the most volatile position. Um, I think it's okay to go off the rails and chase touchdowns a little bit um, because one touchdown when there aren't a lot of good players available at a low volume position can, can make the week really. Uh, John Smith is 4,900 on Fandle, 3,300 on DraftKings. The Patriots are favored by eight and a half points. Uh, implied point total over 24. Both of those metrics are underrated for tight ends. Uh, we talked about a little bit why here you can go check out the um, the DFS playbook on tight ends for why that is important. But if you just want to go matchup-wise, Houston bottom three uh, versus quarterbacks in schedule-adjusted fantasy points. Uh, they're the worst team against tight ends in schedule-adjusted fantasy points. And John o. Smith, he's he's trailing Hunter Henry and, and snaps and um, and overall routes, but John o. Smith is tops among tight ends and targets per route run. He's tied with um, Dawson Knox, Kyle Pitts, Gronk, and Tyler Higby. Well, before last night for Tyler Higby in targets inside the 10-yard line. Uh, he's $500 less than his own teammate at tight end on both websites. New England throwing at the fifth highest rate over expectation, according to Sam Hoppins' um, model that he rolls out on his Hoppin to Conclusions article every week. They're above average in passing in the red zone. I think a lot of people are going to be looking at Jacoby because of his volume, but when they get it down near the end zone, they're targeting their tight ends. And when John was on the field, he's targeted at an extremely high rate. Um, we don't have like any indication that Johnu's snaps are going to go way up, but the way he's playing and the way they're using their tight ends, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see his snaps start to or continue to increase. Um, so I, I kind of like going way off the rails with Johnu this week. I like Hunter Henry too. I just think yeah. that, uh, you know, with the way that we saw the New England Tampa Bay game, I think people, especially those who don't watch a lot of football, just happen to catch the Patriots for the first time this year on national TV, they're going to get a really, really negative perception of what this <laughs> offense is really capable of doing. Yeah. And not to say that Mac Jones is some sort of world beater or going to turn into one, but we're, we are going to see better days. And there's a reason they paid these two tight ends. Uh, I think Jacoby Myers is a fine play too, but these two tight ends were brought in to be the focal points of this offense. So I really like that call. Yeah, uh, and I, I would almost yeah. go like I would almost go the other way. Like obviously Tampa Bay's this crazy pass funnel defense, but Bill Belichick and, and Josh McDaniels, they let their rookie quarterback just throw it all day against a D. I mean, yeah, they're a bad pass defense, but 
they didn't try to like change their game plan and hide their rookie quarterback, right? They're like, this is how mm-hmm. we attack the Buccaneers and this is what we're going to do. And he didn't have a crazy efficient game, but I, I think that speaks volumes to that. Like they're going to trust him and they're going to let him exploit matchups and you can really exploit Houston through the air. So I think they're going to let him do that. They're not trying to hide Mac Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Really well said. Really well said. I, yeah, I like both those players. I really just hope the Patriots don't fall on their face against Houston because I'll be betting heavily on all those players. I think I think Mo- they'll be right. Yeah. Moving over to the defense here. This one actually is more about the shifting perception of the team that I'm seeing and some of the metrics that I'm seeing. Not necessarily that they're popping way up in the value rankings. And I think that has to do with the upside of the offense that they're playing compared to what the what they did last week. But I'm going to talk about the Los Angeles Chargers for a moment. 3,700 on FanDuel, 2,700 on DraftKings. They're certainly in that middle tier. They're affordable. But I kind of want to get ahead, out ahead of the field on the idea that this may actually be an elite defense because we certainly have some evidence that they're trending that way. Not just the fact that they have two absolute superstars in Joey Bosa up front and Derwin James in the back. Derwin James may be the most influential defensive player in football and there you know we never saw what the potential of last year's team was because of him missing the season but by adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing offenses the Chargers are the toughest defense in the NFL right now and it's not very close uh so I just also saw that they're top 10 in yards per pass attempt allowed in points per play allowed in expected points added per play against defenses and one thing i saw that pff put out this week is they did an advanced data study on schemes about players in the box uh uh, odd even shifts a ton of different data just grouped into something called principal component analysis i don't need to bore our data science ears off with that but basically it showed that this Vic Fangio Raheem Morris and coach Brandon Staley defense is different in scheme than the rest of the NFL Mm -hmm. and part of that is it is a super low blitz rate they blitz at the lowest rate in the NFL and they still generate pressure Part of that is, of course, personnel, but it's scheme as well. I've heard it described as the defense is a death by a thousand cuts. They force you into making these check down throws, these easy throws until you try to force it in and then they turn you over. So I'm really, really bullish on this offense. Baker Mayfield has a bum shoulder. The Browns offense just simply didn't show up at all. And so now we know that's in their range of outcomes. I don't think they're going to play that terribly every single week. And one thing that does concern me is that the Chargers have popped as a little bit of a run funnel. We know how much Cleveland likes to run the ball, but still, I really think the Chargers could end up being that defense that we talk about in the absolute elite tier by the end of the season. And I want to be out ahead on that. Wait, so if if Derwin James is that good, does that mean Seattle's going to trade three first round picks to replace Jamal Adams for him? Is that what they're going to (laughs) do? Well, I think Derwin James can cover, so maybe they should. But uh, Um, I... Yeah, I get your point though. Like it, it's just sometimes that safety play is overrated unless you no, can no, do I, absolutely I James, everything. No, I think Derwin James is really good. But I mean, to to a serious point about your you're talking about the Chargers being a run funnel and 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 then combining it with Baker's shoulder. I actually was that was one of my concerns when I was picking out defenses that I like this week is that um one, they are a run funnel and we want our defenses playing against offenses that pass a lot because that's just more fantasy opportunities, right? But then I, I when I heard the Baker shoulder injury, 
I mean, the reason that the Chargers are a run funnel is because they want to be a run funnel. They think about the game against the Chiefs. They they decided, and they've been doing this. Um, we're not going to let anything behind us. We're going to keep it all in front of us. And if you want to run for you know six yards of carry, that's fine. But you're not going to score quick on us, and our offense can score really quick. If you're playing against a quarterback that can't throw because his shoulders messed up, and the only thing that the Browns want to do is run, how are you going to tell me the Chargers? You're talking about how good they are. Don't have the personnel to say, "All right, this week we're going to stop the run." Go ahead, Baker, throw it with your bum arm. Try to get it past our secondary. So I actually think that they might force, even with his bad shoulder, might force the Browns into like a really uncomfortable situation. So the more I think about this game, the more I think the Chargers actually have a ton of upside, despite what their run metrics say and what the matchup on paper says. Um, that that Baker shoulder injury might really switch things up for how this game ends up looking. Hey, I agree. I mean, I, I saw it, and I was actually surprised to see that their value wasn't popping at all. In fact, I think there might be a negative value, but I just don't see it that way. Very rare for me to be going against that value metric. That is usually that's usually the Bible, but in this yeah. case, I think I, I see some metrics really popping for the Chargers that I'm really intrigued by. Yeah, well, one team that is popping in our value reports is the Cowboys. $4,000 on FanDuel, $2,800 on DraftKings. They're top four value um, on FanDuel. I think they're top two on DraftKings. Nine teams on the slate are favored by a field goal or more. And Cowboys have the lowest salary of that group as touchdown favorites on DraftKings. So a lot of teams favored by a field goal. They're favored all the way up by a touchdown, still not priced as such. Um Giants pass one of the highest rates in the league in neutral um, in neutral game scripts. They're expected to be in a very negative game scripts. So that should mean a ton of passing from the Giants. Whatever you think about the Cowboys in real life, the more a team is passing, the more opportunities you have for sacks, strips, turnovers. We talk about it every single week. Um, I'm, I'm not ready to say Daniel Jones is this great quarterback. He's looked good and he's using his legs more, but our three year sample size of Daniel Jones or, or two plus year sample size, whatever it is, shows Jones as the quarterback with the fourth highest sack rate in the league since coming in the league. His sack rate still almost at 6% this year. It's not up like at eight or 9% like we've seen, um, but it's still not low. So I, I think the Cowboys are a really good value just in terms of being favorites that aren't priced high. And um, I'll, I'll still, I'll still bet against Daniel Jones. I'm not afraid to say it. You mean he won't throw for 400 yards every single game? I don't think so, but uh, but man, so every time I every time I say it's not going to happen on this podcast, it feels like it happens. So we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> um, I hear you. Um, if if you are uh, getting ready to play uh, this week and you are a new FanDuel fantasy player, your day is about to get 20% better. Start playing fantasy football this season on FanDuel and they will give you a 20% bonus on your first deposit up to $500 by going to FanDuel.com slash DFS MVP. That's a big time bonus and all you need to do to claim it is make your first deposit. They have some of the best contest structures around. We've talked about their higher stakes GPPs. Their single entry GPPs are some of my favorite every week. Check out my Twitter. I'm tweeting out their contest structures every week because I love them. If you don't want to play those games, they have a ton of different formats from the main slate to single game slates, best ball snake drafts, even private contests with your friends. 
There's an awesome slate of games on hand this week. As we've talked about, uh, we're always talking about the Sunday Million. I cover it in the DFS playbook. I review it every week on 4 for 4. We've already talked about players that we love this week, like TJ Hawkinson, like Jalen Waddle. So be sure you are playing players there. We've already talked about them. So sign up today, fanduel.com slash DFS MVP to claim your bonus and start playing. That's fanduel.com slash DFS MVP. Age and location restrictions apply. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that offers that expires after 30 days. Matt, let's jump into the theory segment. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I asked you to start pitching me some ideas for theory segments. Um, one of the things that you you mentioned that I really liked was uh, assessing your strengths and weaknesses. And then um, uh, very serendipitously, we got a question from a Discord uh, user that I really liked that kind of tied into this question. And, and he said he's been playing a ton of cash successfully. Um, he can't seem to figure out GPPs, mostly playing low stakes, single and three max, which we love. Cash lineups for the first three weeks have been his best lineups of the week. GPP lineups, mix of cash uh, plays, high value stacks, players in good positions that are contrarian. Is it a string of bad luck or is it a faulty GPP process? Um, we're going to get, we're, we're going to kind of tear down this question a little bit and talk about how to assess your strength and weaknesses before we get into that. I mean, I, I think what people need to understand and new DFS players need to understand, and I'll throw it back to you, but. If you're playing GPPs, the nature of a GPP is high variance. And I think if you're new to DFS, the hard pill to swallow is what high variance actually means, right? That means we're going to have a lot of very low or no payout weeks and then some huge spike weeks. And by nature, if we're playing players that aren't good values, that are high variance, that have high ceilings and low floors, those lineups are going to have really low floors. So there's going to be a lot of stretches where our cash lineup is our best lineup. And um, psychologically, it's really hard to look at that and say, there's no way I'm doing this right. These lineups suck. These lineups are going to suck a lot. And that's kind of the point is that if they were obvious and good, everybody would be playing them. But when the unexpected happens, that's when our, um, that's when our, expected value comes into play. So um, I, I obviously haven't like dug into this user's process. We're going to uh, dig into some general processes here, but I think that is kind of how your experience should be going. Um, if you have, if you're having a ton of min caches and you're just barely squeaking by, but you're never having these big spikes, you're probably actually doing something wrong, right? Like if all of your lineups are just always min caching, you're probably not building lineups that have the upside. Like by, again, by nature, that, that variance is going to come into play. So like, even without like looking at what this user's doing, without looking at his lineups, it sounds like he's a, a very um, uh, involved subscriber. My guess is he's pro his process is probably fine. Most likely, if his cash lineups are doing well, he probably knows what he's doing. Cash is really hard. So if you're playing well in cash, you're, I mean, it's two different games and we need, we're going to get into assessing those different things, but that's a normal experience. Um, what, what would you say? Well, first of all, I think this is a very normal place to be because once you find a place like four for four and you have really strong projections and you have access to strong podcasts with good information and articles that sometimes say conflicting information, what you <laughs> yeah. get is really, really good at understanding what the very best plays are. Yeah. But then 
to answer your question, this question specifically, when you move to GPPs and you start thinking of range of outcomes and way games could go differently and the psychology of actually playing a game against the rest of the people using the same information and sometimes even the same websites, articles, and projections yeah. as you. And so one of the things I actually have at the very bottom of my notes, but I think it's really relevant right here, is no one, I, no one can do this work for you. Yeah. This is work that you need to do on your own. We can give you value plays. We can give you models and data science articles, all, all that stuff. We can give you award-winning projections. But what you do with them, and I mean that collective you, is the way that you win or lose this game. And so I think it was really intelligent, TJ, to start off with building variance into your expectations. One thing I noticed in this question is it says you're playing low stakes, single and three entry tournaments. That means you're probably playing in those tournaments with 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 people in them. Do we expect to take those down extremely often? Absolutely not. We play a large majority of our bankroll in cash games so we can weather the storms so that we can have more and more and more opportunities to play games like that. So when it is our day, we can get there. And that's and that's the biggest thing for me is so many people playing DFS right now are not playing DFS as a means to make their prime it's not their primary income for the year, but this game does attract a lot of people who have a very strong source of primary income, which means that they're okay taking a loss, taking a wash in exchange for taking big intelligent risks so that when it is their day, they get the biggest amount of payoff. So I know it's a little bit of a cop-out to say you have to stay the course when you're playing this kind of style, but you need to get your bankroll and your cash games to the point where you can stay the course for an infinite amount of time so that we get you to your day. I think really that's the biggest part of the psychology and really that's what variance means is that there's a lot of no before there's one yes. Yeah, I would um I I I'll I'll use my own results as an example and I've shifted um my approach a lot in the past couple of years where um maybe 4 years ago, even 3 years ago probably, um very very cash game heavy um with just a slant towards um smaller buy-in gpps not like micro stakes but smallish mid stakes i would say um but still bigger fields um and lots of min caches like i just talked about and, and my results are pretty steady but not a lot of upside and if you look at my results over the last couple of years um you'll see a lot of uh, very down weeks or weeks that are zeros negatives um, but then the weeks that are good are really, really good. And I think it's easy for someone that hasn't played a ton to look at that and say, um, well, you got, if that week doesn't happen, you're screwed. Um, your whole season's over, but that's kind of the point. And this isn't even to say that I'm, I'm, I'm good or bad, whatever you think of, of those results. The point is like, that's kind of the point is like, we only need a couple weeks to make our whole year. Right. But if we're going to have that, um, that kind of approach to the game. And if you are playing, like if this person is playing, like I play and they're playing one cash lineup and a, a three max tournament and that's it. Like it's really easy to whiff for a month straight. Like if you're playing, if, if you're playing a hundred lineups a week, like a lot of them are going to miss. So if you're only, if you're only playing four, like you can go, a, you can go a month without cashing anything, um, especially in tournaments. So, um, 
yeah, that, that's not surprising at all. And and if you're in a similar situation, I, I don't think you could get discouraged, but let's, let's start getting into some of the processes of how you can at least set yourself up for, um, for assessing your strengths and weaknesses and understanding your game a little bit. And I, I'm going to start with basically, this is something I've written about a ton and you actually can find an article um, on, on it called, called just setting goals. If you go into the DFS strategy hub, but basically it's like, what are your goals in this game? And you talked about if you're going to be um, try to do this for a living, or if you're going to try to grind it out, or if you have a lot of uh, expendable income and you don't mind firing it, whatever, max entering the milli or whatever you're trying to do, but is your goal to become a full-time player? Is your goal to have some Christmas money come at the end of the season, have a couple extra grand to play with? Um, or is your goal to win the milli or to get a live qualifier and you don't really care about your ROI? All of those players are going to have really different approaches, right? And if your game selection isn't lining up with those goals, then you're going to have a disconnect in your game. And I think it comes down to it your risk aversion. Um, and that's just how, what's your expendable income or what is your relationship with that expendable income? If you're somebody that is, even if you have 500 grand, if you're going to be uncomfortable losing a couple grand every week, you shouldn't be playing a lot of tournaments. Like if you are, don't like seeing that four digit go negative in one week, um, you, you probably shouldn't be playing a lot of, a lot of tournaments. You should probably be playing just some, um, you know, playing some 50, 50, playing some cash games, playing some triple ups, five X games, some 100 mans. And that's okay. Like if that's what you want to do. Um, but if, if you are, have that relationship with real money, um, you're not going to be able to withstand the, the ebbs and flows of a game where you're pushing really thin the margins. And I use the poker analogy a ton on here. And it's, it's why you can oftentimes walk into a poker game and you hear people say, oh, well, that guy just has the most money. He's running over the table. Well, guess what? He has the same amount of money as you on the table. He just doesn't care if he fires off 300 bucks on every street and you're worried about losing that in your whole game. So yeah, he's going to run it over and it's kind of the same mindset. Like if you need to really be comfortable firing off whatever you're firing off. Um, so if your risk aversion isn't matching up with whatever your goals are, there's always going to be a disconnect there. Yeah. Well said. And I think too, it, once you set a goal, if you're not tracking it, you're not actually trying to achieve the goal. Mm -hmm. And that kind of leads into my next sort of question that I urge you guys to ask yourselves is, are you tracking your progress as effectively as you really could? Because one thing that I'll note is that Rototracker and, th and sites like that are really good if you're an MME player, a multi-sport player, and you're just, you have a large sample size, so you need to pull everything into a pool and just see where that line graph goes. And eventually, in your football DFS life, you'll get there too. But ultimately, I think especially when we're talking about this specific question on Discord, if you're a single entry or a three entry or even like five or a 20 entry max, you should be tracking your progress at the lineup, the player, or maybe even the stack level. You yeah. should be having some sort of spreadsheet or notes app that helps you in the, in the pre-slate process identify the way you were thinking about the slate so that when the slate occurs, you can go back and start to evaluate your progress. And one thing that I think people sometimes forget is they start to articulate their goals. And as I said before, they stop there. They yeah, stop yeah. before they put in the time yeah. to actually improve on that weakness that they've yeah. possibly identified or that change. So I really feel like don't just start at identifying 
these things that you're strong or you're weak at or the parts in your play that you feel aren't as good as your other parts. Maybe certain positions aren't as good. But I do think that if you can <laughs> have a systemized process for getting to Sunday and then another systemized process for evaluating Sunday, you get better a lot faster. Yeah, and, and I'll say I actually don't use something like roto tracker for that reason um roto tracker for those that don't know it, it's a it's an app or a website where you can just you can just upload your um results and everything's automated for you and the automation process is actually what i don't like about it because i have my own spreadsheet and i do look at my games like on a very granular level so when i i put it when i'm putting in them into the spreadsheet uh, by hand it's not by hand i'm still like moving them from one spreadsheet to another, but um, it, it forces me to look at every single one because every time I do the addition and, and calculate my ROI, it's making me look at exactly what happened that week. I can't just like be like, ah, oh, I lost 5% this week onto the next one. Like I'm looking at every single game. Um, and, and on that note, when you talked about like looking at what you're doing on the player level or the stack level or whatever, I think one of the most important ways to assess your strength or weaknesses you talked about this guy playing single entry. If you're playing a 50-50, if you're playing a head-to-head, -head, if you're playing a 3X, every single game that you're playing is going to have a different strategy in terms of salary allocation, ownership allocation, stacking strategy, um, game flow strategy. All of these things are different by the size of the tournament, the payout of the tournament, um, the, the upside of the tournament. All So the easiest thing you could do is you can go into your um the games that you're playing your whatever your favorite game is and look at the lineups that are winning and if they're way different than what you're doing going back to the question what is my process like well look at the players not just the first place lineup look at the players that are consistently on top look at some of the it's really easy i think we've, we've talked about this so many times it's really easy to get the screen names of the best players in the world go on a roto grinders look at that leaderboard see if they're in your tournament. Are they playing your tournament every week? And if you have a similar process to them, they don't have to be the same players. If if they're on Odell and and, and Baker when you're on, um, on Kirk Cousins and Jefferson, if it's in the same game, I wouldn't worry about getting that part right. Like you're kind of on the same track. Like you're stacking that game. You're stacking those quarterback wide receiver combos. Um, those are the things we're looking for. Are they paying up for running back? Are they taking chalk running backs in that in that um, tournament? Is our ownership percentages way different in your tournament than they are in the milli comparing your lineup to it's the easiest thing to do especially on DraftKings, where you can just hit click export uh to csv and you get every single lineup in like you don't have to click two buttons you don't have to click on other teams um and then taking those we, we had this guy ask the question in discord ask other good players go in discord post your post your lineups see what players at your same skill level are doing and, and you're going to be able to bounce a lot of ideas off each other yeah, I really like I really really like that. Especially getting out of your own head is so important. That's really a perfect transition to my last point here is I view this this game in general as a three category process. And identifying your strengths and weakness needs to happen within these three categories that I call analysis, insight, and mindset. Analysis, as you would expect, how do you go about learning this game? Some people are really good at DFS and they don't even know football at all. They know math, yeah. they know data, they know how to parse historical information and that's okay. Maybe you watch the games and your gut is honed better than your brain right now. 
that is valid analysis. So when we talk about strengths and weaknesses, you need to get to the point in your analysis process so that you can move on to these second two categories, which is insight and mindset. Insight, we start by helping you with things like breakout receiver models where people are performing under or over expectation, but also insight means what the rest of the field is doing, ownership projections, understanding range of outcomes, understanding game environments. And those things can be, that's the second level stuff that you might not be really prepared for. You know, you're ready from the football analysis standpoint, but then incorporating the behaviors of other people can be really hard. And finally, I think this is really important and overlooked in general in DFS is your own personal mindset. You are playing a game with your mind against other people's minds. They are making the best decisions they possibly can, and so are you. The stakes in that regard, in terms of how hard we're all working to make the best choices, are extremely high. And your mindset, your psychology, whatever you want to call it, needs to be at a really, really strong level because you're playing against pros, people who are literally professionals at that part. And so I think we do overlook it, especially when it's your first few years in DFS, get your mind right for how you're making decisions on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the mindset part is super important, especially like within the, the week or, or within the, the day, the slates, um, it's really easy. Like, like something I think people can catch themselves doing if you're at your computer all day, especially if you threw, throw back a couple of pops after kickoff and start chasing those losses. Right. And there's, I don't remember the exact term. I, I think it was, um, I, th- I think it was Skolanski and poker. I, I wish I could credit it properly, but like basically the point of no return where like after you hit a, th- a certain threshold of losses, like it all feels the same. Right. So if you, if you fire off 500 on the main slate and, and you just get crushed and then you fight, let me fire off another hundred early entry. And all of a sudden you're up to like a thousand in losses and you're like, screw it. It's I'm already down a thousand. Let me throw another thousand at the showdown. Like that's a real problem. And that's probably like a bigger issue. And you should be like, like limiting yourself on DraftKings. but there's people that, that there's people that can afford it and still do that. And even if you only do it once, that could be the difference. We just talked about make or breaking your season with one really good week. I mean, one really bad week where you go outside of, of that proper mindset can make or break your year. Um, and, and kind of like, on that same note quickly if 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 your strength is weaknesses is is honed and you're really good at lineup selection and your 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 um your game selection maps up matches up with your goals outside of evaluating and reviewing your um your lineups and again this is why i go back every week and like looking at it, putting in my results on my own is evaluating your game selection and that's not just picking the best games like possible but like can you do things like like if you're at a, a, I don't know, a $33 level, but you can afford to jump to a $50 level, but you're not sure if you're getting a three or 4% drop in rake every week by moving up to that, maybe it's time to move up. Um, if you're missing out on free money by um, not chasing overlay by not putting your cash lineups in like small field GPPs and you, your, your lineup went off for 200 DraftKings points, but you only had it in 50 fifties. You just cost yourself a lot of money on the season. Um, if you're not playing free rolls, um, the, all of these things, if you're playing within your bankroll, like you talked about, all of these things really um, have a cumulative effect and on and um, on your bottom line and where you're strong and where you're weak. And, and I think that is one place where people are really, really weak is, is game selection, doing all of these things that I just talked about, 
it's all hidden money and, and you might say, well, listen, I'm not winning, so how can these things matter? When you do win, they all start adding up a lot. Yeah, yeah, man. And it's just, again, it's all about small decisions that are slightly better yeah. than your opponents. Finding free money is just small decisions that help you over the long, over the long run. And really my last thing I'll say here on this topic is uh, in Fooled by Randomness, uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb mm -hmm. talks about just human beings' ability in general to retroactively explain unexplainable events. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Remember that we are dealing with a significant amount of variance, a significant amount of randomness, and a weird oblong ball that bounces in very strange ways sometimes. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you could understand every single aspect about what's occurring. And when you go back and take your notes, be okay being honest with yourself saying, I don't know how we could have figured out this player hit. I'm not sure how my process would have led me to this game environment being the shootout that everyone wanted. It's okay to not have the answer. Yeah. It's worse to fool yourself into thinking you have the answer. Yeah, um, I think that's a really good note to go out on. And, and I think that people should be going outside of um, DFS circles to kind of expand how they're thinking about just improving their processes in any game or anything where you're trying trying to improve. I think there's a lot more um, outside of, of the DFS world. But if you want to check out like really expanded discussions on, on what we just covered here in, in 15 minutes, there are a ton of um, articles that cover these things in the DFS Strategy Hub on 444. Go to the DFS dropdown, just click on Strategy Hub, and you'll find uh, close to 100 um, articles or, or podcasts on that. Um, thank you for everybody for listening, uh, whether you're um, here on YouTube or you're going to listen to it on the podcast uh, platform of your choice. If you're on uh, Apple Podcasts, please rate and review on iTunes. It helps us out a ton. If you're on YouTube, please like and subscribe uh, here on YouTube. Links right below there. As I mentioned before, price dropped down to $74 for um, for the DFS subscription down from 99 on 4 for 4 If you're looking for another way to get access to our sub. That's called free money, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just exactly what we were talking about. Head over to 444.com slash prize picks to get a new sub for $20 if you're a new prize picks user. Reminder about our other shows, Cash Review, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Mondays on YouTube, Yahoo every Saturday with Matt Harmon, that's Yahoo DFS values on the DFS MVP and the Yahoo feeds, DFS Last Look with Jordan Vanek, Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, subscriber-only Discord for that one. Check us out on Twitter, 444 at 444 Football. Matt's a Draftaholic. I'm at TJ Hernandez. We'll talk to you guys on Monday. See ya.